0: grab a seat, and as you do, get a copy of God's Word open in front of you to Acts chapter 17, and if you need a Bible under a seat, you'll find a, a Bible under there. We're in the book of Acts chapter 17, and uh, as you turn there, um, I want to tell you a story. Uh, Erica and I were on our honeymoon uh, over eight years ago. We were in Playa del Carmen, and uh, we were walking down this walkway, and the walkway was lined with all of these little huts and these little stores and people kind of selling things, all lining the kind of main main. We were walking, and um, as we were walking down, a guy came up to us, and and he uh, held out a pair of Oakley sunglasses in front of me. And um, I was like, look at those red Oakleys, and it's awesome. And he's like, these can be yours for like $20 American. I'm like, a pair of Oakleys for 20 bucks? Like, you can't beat that, right? What's the problem? There's one problem. What's the problem? They're, they're fake. They're, they're counterfeit Oakleys. Uh, ladies, if you walk around parts of New York City, you can find designer, de, des, Louis Vuittons, I'm talking, okay? Coach bags. And they can be yours for like 30 bucks. What's the problem? They're, they're fake. They're counterfeits. And we as humans, if we had the option between that which is authentic and real and true and that which is fake and counterfeit, I think all of us in here would agree, um, we would always choose that which is real, that which is authentic, that which is true, over that which is fake and fabricated and counterfeit. And yet, that's what makes today's topic so interesting. Uh, today, today, we talk about idols, and an idol is uh, a God that we fabricate. It's a God we concoct. It's a counterfeit God. And there's something about our hearts that are so easily pulled in to elevating some things that might be good gifts from God and making them God things, making them supreme. Other things that aren't good at all. And we, our heart wants to elevate and worship them. Our heart is this dangerous thing of, of, of an idol factory. We, we make gods in our heart, and then we bow down to them, and, and we spend our life doing this battle of, 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 of allowing idols to be crushed so that God and his supremacy can rule and reign in our heart. Um, we bring this topic up today because Paul is going to make his way to the city of Athens. And as we get into this message, we're going to unpack that the city of Athens is an ancient masterpiece. I mean, if we could have seen it in its heyday, all of us in here walking through it would have been absolutely floored. If you visit its ruins today, you would still be amazed by, by the fact that this place was an archaeological just, just masterpiece. It was an a, a architecture mecca. It was a place of great learning and great knowledge. The artwork would have wowed us. And Paul's going to go down to Athens, and he's going to be all by himself, and he's going to begin walking through the city, and Paul is not going to be enamored by the architecture. He's not ultimately going to be wowed by the art. He's not going to be pulled into the great learning, knowledge, and intellect that's there. Uh, Paul is going to be grieved that the city is absolutely covered in idols. And it's going to grieve him right to his core. And now I wish I could stand up here and I could say that this study of idols is merely an ancient study on the idols of Athens. But I think we all in here know that uh, just as Athens... 2,000 years ago was smothered in idols. We live in a culture we're bombarded with constant idols in our own culture today, aren't we? And so um, let me define what an idol is as we get into this, and let me tell you how we're going to kind of teach through this section here. An idol is this. An idol is worshiping anything other than God as God. Worshiping anything other than God as God. Um, To say that another way, anything that would steal the allegiance of God being supreme in our heart, anything anything in our affections that competes with God is supreme. Any other thing that wants to steal the throne of our heart from God and we put something fake and fabricated and counterfeit on it. Uh, A a saying I'll say to myself often as I think about the idols in my own life that go to war with God is anytime I make a good thing a God thing. And I have a way in my heart of making good things God things often. And so I got into the study of this week's passage. Um, As I write a manuscript during the week, a full message is 3,000 words. Um, I got through point two and had 3,500 words. And so instead of preaching a 90 minute sermon today, um, this is one message that's going to be broken into two weekends. Uh, this is one message that's going to be broken into this Sunday and next Sunday. And uh, part one today is this. Part one, we're going to see idols for the soul destroying things they are. And we're going to ask God today to expose our idols. Do you want to do that? Does that sound like fun? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little nervous to preach this message because I know I'm going to say things we don't want to hear and I know I'm going to say things we don't like to hear. I know I'm going to point out idols in my heart and your heart that we don't want exposed. And I know even on how I say some of those things, you're, you're instantly going to want to stiff arm it and push back and be like, that's not me, you're talking about someone else. And I'm just going to ask us today if humbly we'll come before the Lord and we'll ask God authentically and real, God, will you please expose any idols that you're competing with my heart for? And then next week, here's what we're going to do. Part two of this sermon that we'll preach next week is this. How idols are rooted out and destroyed in the awe of the glory of God. And so I just ask you right now, uh, make the commitment to be here next Sunday. Because if you don't, you'll have a half teaching on idols. Uh, you'll only get the destroying power of idols and how that leaves our heart longing for something greater. Um, and I'm going to leave us here and we're just going to kind of sit at the end in the heaviness of that. And you're going to be like, please relieve the tension. And I'm not going to. Because next week we're going to relieve the tension. And we're going to talk about how do idols get rooted out as my heart gets enamored and overwhelmed by the glory of the awesome, awesomeness of the one true God. Sound good? And so pray with me and let's ask God to go to work on our hearts this morning. God, that's exactly what we want you to do. Would you go to work on our hearts this morning through your word? God, I confess to you as a man right now that I'm going to preach a message on idols and I have idols you've exposed all week in my own heart. You feel the tension inside your heart right now as you preach a message like this of, of just hypocrisy to just for what your word has exposed in my own heart this week. God, I pray, out of your great love in which you love us, would you shine a powerful spotlight on deep, dark corners of our heart this morning? And would you show us where there's idols there? There's idols hiding in the crevices. There's idols uh, hiding around the corners. There's idols who are are sitting there trying to uh, uh, leap onto the throne of our heart often and that we have to, Lord, uh, be fighting against all the time. God, I pray, would you just speak to us in power today? God, I pray your word is clear. God, I pray you get the preacher out of the way. And would you do an awesome work by the power of your spirit as you convict us, Lord, and as we seek to reflect and repent where we need to reflect and repent this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 17. Pick up the chapter with me in verse 16, if you would. It says, now, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, and so I, just, I already want to stop there, and I want, to, I want us to get our bearings on where, where we left things last week. Who is Paul waiting for, and uh, where are they? Remember where Paul has just left. Paul went from Thessalonica down to Berea, and it was in Berea that he was met by a group of people who were genuine truth seekers. They, 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 they heard what he had to say. They examined the scriptures. Uh, many believe in Berea. And then what happens is a group comes from Thessalonica, a group that doesn't like Paul and doesn't like the message he's preaching, and it forces Paul to flee, and he flees by boat, by water, all the way from the coast up by Berea, down to the city of Athens, but he goes alone. His traveling companions, uh, Silas and Timothy, are back in Berea, and it says what Paul does while he's down in the city of Athens all by himself. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was, what's it say? As he saw that the city was full of idols. And so um, I want us, if we can, to go on a tour of the city of Athens, because if there was any city you could have been waiting for your friends in, the city of Athens would have been an amazing place. To wait for them. Uh, the city of Athens is dominated by a geographical feature called, that's called the Acropolis, uh, the hill, kind of the high outcropping. And you see on top of the Acropolis here um, the, the, the ruins of what we know as uh, what's that building called that you see up there? Anyone know? The Parthenon. Uh, the Parthenon sits and just kind of dominates the landscape of the city of Athens. The Parthenon um, um, was devoted to kind of the patron goddess of the city, uh, Athena. And uh, it sits up high there, and you, as you would have walked around the city, you would have always kind of been in the shadow of that thing. And um, I also want you to see, um, look, at, look at the theater in Athens. And look at kind of just... Um, the, the, the picture this will give you of what kind of city this really was. I mean, that's, that's a pretty impressive feature for us in our day with our advanced kind of architecture abilities. Think about what that would have been like in a city of Athens. And on and on we could go. I could put up picture after picture. But we have to understand something. That Athens was an unbelievably impressive place. Uh, it, was, it was called kind of the intellectual capital of the empire. It was an architectural mecca. It was a place that the art of its day was just, I mean, it was the, it was the epitome of high culture. And I was trying this week to understand what was it like for Paul, this, this Jewish guy out of Tarsus, to uh, land by boat and start walking through the city of Athens as just kind of this ho-hum Jewish guy out of Tarsus, what would that have been, have been, been like to walk through the city all alone? And it kind of jogged my memory from uh, ninth grade, um, let's call this the time the Graham family went to New York City. Um, let me, give you, let me give you a shot of the downtown of the little country town I grew up in, in West Michigan. This right here, folks, is Elto, Michigan. We do not have one stoplight. Not even a blinking stoplight. Um, that right there is the beauty parlor, and that right there is the library. And that's about all you got. And uh, we fly out to New Jersey. Uh, my cousin gets married in northern New Jersey, and the day after the wedding, we say like, hey, we're this close to New York City. Let, like, let's, let's go, let's check it out. So we hop on a train, we come to the city, and I just remember walking up out of the subway and just, like, we got to the top of the stairs and we were just absolutely overwhelmed. The sights, the sounds, the whole buzz of the atmosphere. And I just remember that kind of our whole family just kind of like froze right there and went, we aren't in Elto anymore. And you kind of see the New Yorkers just hurriedly rushing around us like, look at these podunk tourists here. And we're, we're sitting there like, dadgum, y'all, would you look at that over there? <laughs> wow. And if you've ever been to New York City, you know that it's like, it's like a place like no other. I've been to Chicago, I've been to other cities, but there was something about like walking up out of the subway into New York City that you're just like, whoa, this is what I wonder if it was like for Paul as he just walks through the city, and he takes in the sights of kind of the epitome of high culture that Athens was. And you would expect him, as he kind of walks through, to take on the perspective of a tourist, to take in the architecture, to take in the art, to be enamored by the philosophical, intellectual pockets of conversation that are happening in the marketplace. But it tells us what catches Paul's attention here at the second part of verse 16. And it says, his spirit his spirit was, well, what's the word it used? His spirit was what? His spirit was provoked. Like he's walking through Athens. Uh, one ancient historian says it was easier to find a god in Athens than it was to find a man. Uh, there were altars, shrines, statues, temples everywhere you looked. And Paul is walking through this and he's absolutely grieved over the rampant idol worship that he sees here. I believe he's not only grieved for the people of Athens, I think he's jealous for the glory of God and he's angry that that God's glory is being attacked by these fake fabricated gods that the people are bowing down to with their lives and he's provoked within him and uh, uh, it says he's provoked as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, our English can't really do justice to translate when it says full of idols. It literally, it's this idea that... um, Athens was submerged in idols. Athens was smothered in idols. Athens was completely covered with these things called idols. And Paul is absolutely grieved over this. And as I said in the introduction, I'll say it again here, I I wish this could just be a study of a city of ancient history that was smothered in idols, But I think we all agree that um, our hearts are bombarded with a smothering of idols in our own culture as well. And I just want to kind of give us this first point here from verse 16, and it's this, that the heart is an idol factory. And this should grieve us. Like this this should provoke something inside of the genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Like when we when we see our own heart wooed away from God by these fake gods we've concocted and now we're like we're giving them supremacy in our life. Like we should grieve over that. And not only in our own life, but as we walk around a culture that we see people uh, literally with their lives paying homage to fake gods. Uh, making supreme that which was never designed to be supreme. This should grieve something in us. It should provoke something in us. We should grieve over um, how, how we as people are led away for our, to our own demise by fake gods. We should grieve with a jealousy, a zeal for God's glory that idols compete with. And I just think it's true to say that in our own culture, much like Athens, we are smothered with potential idols. If idols are giving God's place to anything lesser, that is, that is a lesser, that's lesser than God, if, if idols are making good things God things, I just want to lovingly confront us today on any idols that might be in our heart. And as I lovingly confront us today through the words I'm about to say, I want you to know that I've been lovingly confronted by God this week in the study of this with the idols that were in my heart. Some specific events God brought into my life this week as I'm writing a message on idols to really test the idols that I have in here. And I just wonder for us today, as we search our heart, uh, let me just ask some specific things of us. Um, Are you here today and has your work or career become an idol in your life? And now I I know in each of these examples I'm going to give, they're not going to be exhaustive. There's other things. And we're going to want to say, no, I don't think so. I think I'm safe there. Um, Pastor, I'm really glad glad you preached this message because my brother or my wife... Or my husband, like they really needed to hear that i'm telling you it is going to be a subtle lie of our heart to assume that this message is for someone else. Has work or career become an idol in your life and you, you go i i don't i I really don't think so, and that's that's possibly true but but how do we know? Are you? Are you the expression of Christ in your workplace? Regardless of whether that gets you promoted or not. Are you willing to throw ethics out the window on some things just to advance your career? Here's a tough one. Not being scheduled to work this morning, had your boss called you at 7 a.m. and said, hey, I know you do the whole church thing. I'm really sorry. Like, we need you in here right now. What wins? And I know right now you're going, well, hold on, man. I want to be a good employee. And what do you mean? You can't tell your boss no. If I tell my boss no on this, you get kind of put in a track and you're not going to advance. I'm just asking the questions. If you're self-employed in here, you've spent years or decades with God's help, Building a company? Would your life crumble if your company crumbled? And now I'm realistic. I'm not saying that wouldn't be without tears and that wouldn't be without hardship. And man, would there be some dark nights if that happened? I'm asking, would your life absolutely crumble if your company crumbled? Would you have no idea the identity of who you are? Because for the last years or decades, your identity has been what you do? Is it possible that if work or career is an idol that loves to steal God's throne of your heart, is it possible that that's connected to an idol being money? Jesus said, It's really hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he gave a picture. He said, it's easier for the camel to pass through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if you've ever tried that, like a camel and a needle. (laughs) Those are sobering words. Is money an idol for you? And now there's, there's, there's two branches of this. There's those money as an idol because uh, you love to take money and go buy things with it. Money There's the branch of money as idol because I'm a spender. And that's always very obvious, right? That's typically like you can see that. There's also money as an idol because money represents security. There's money as an idol for you Uber savers. You're like, hold on. Isn't it wise and prudent? Like, shouldn't I have an emergency fund? Yes, absolutely. Wise, prudent, have the emergency fund. My question is, do you have an emergency fund on the emergency fund, and then emergency fund on the emergency fund on the emergency fund? Some wives are looking at husbands right now. (coughs) Is it possible that we believe our security isn't tied in the ruler of heaven and earth. We believe it's tied to the size of our bank account number. Is money an idol? And I'll say one more thing on that because I believe <clears throat> our culture, other cultures have different common idols. I believe money is one in our culture. I believe we should check our hearts today to see if money is an idol if we are not giving if we're not giving as an act of worship financially to the Lord. I believe we need to check our hearts if money is an idol if we're not giving as an act of worship an offering to the Lord. And now I know some of us are going, no, you don't understand. That's not an idle thing. That's not an idle thing. I wish we could give. We're in a season of life where we don't have any margin to give. Between the mortgage and the kids' things and the car payments, and we're still paying on student loans, I really wish we could give to the Lord, but, but, but we don't have the margin to. Um, let me lovingly just point out what we've just said with that. We've said we've exhausted 100% of our income on building our kingdom and have left none for the building of Christ's kingdom. I say that with no other ulterior motives other than just pure worship of God. I'm not saying this because we're coming down to the end of the year and we're way behind budget as a church. We're not. We're way ahead of budget. I'm just asking, would we look at our hearts? What are we worshiping? Is it possible that there's a relationship or relationships in our life that have dethroned our ultimate relationship with God? Have we been convicted for weeks, months, a year to get out of an unhealthy relationship? with an unbeliever, and we haven't, even though we know God says to, because ultimately staying in that relationship is more important to us than honoring God. Here's a hard one. You're like, can you just stop now? I know, I know. Have we pulled our kids to such a center of our life that everything about our joy revolves around them? you like, but don't, we got to love our kids' sacrifices. Of course we do. But have they become so center? Are we idolizing a season that God has not brought us? and we're idolizing this season in such a way that we're believing a lie that says my joy will be complete when that season comes. God, I hate being single. I want to be married. And that good, that's a good thing, that's a good that's a good thing you're desiring. Has that good desire turned into a demand that you're laying before God? Do we long for prestige, for status? Do we long to be known in such a way that we're, we're willing to do anything we can to elevate ourselves, and in doing that, we de-elevate God as supreme in our life? And now all these things I listed, and the many more that I could list, I believe we need to highlight a common theme through every idol that works its way and weasels its way into our heart. And that common theme of nearly every idol that we elevate in our heart is this, it's self. Every idol at its heart is really the exaltation and the lifting up of self. J.I. Packer said this, We have such small thoughts of God because as modern men, we have such lofty thoughts of ourselves, And that cut my knees out from under me this week. Because I know that I have lofty thoughts of myself. I'd be embarrassed if you could crawl into my head and hear the things that I think How easily it is for me to just get over in the ditch of really believing that Brock Graham is a pretty cool, good, and special guy. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols, smothered in idols. And I wish I could say that we are not a culture smothered in idols, but we are. And we open our heart now and say, God, show us what is there that's competing for you. So does? let me transition now. So what does Paul do about this? He can't walk through the city and see all this idol worship. And if you, you know Paul by now. He ain't just going to sit there. He's got to do something about this. Look at verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons. Now, we would totally expect that, right? This is Paul's MO, every city he goes to. So he's walking through Athens. He's seeing all this this idol worship, and he's like, where's the synagogue? Where's the synagogue? I gotta go tell people about Jesus. I gotta go tell people about the better one to worship. And he finds the synagogue, and he starts reasoning with them the same thing he's been doing in every city. Scripture's open. Let me preach Jesus to you. Lay Jesus over the scripture. There's the Messiah you're longing for. And he just, he straight preaches them. But now he does something different in Athens. That verse goes on. He reasoned, uh, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the where? And in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. It would be like this. Paul finds the religious gathering. Paul finds a gathering like this. And he walks in and begins to reason with the people about Jesus. But he's not content in Athens to only reason in the religious gathering. He goes down to a place called the Agora, the marketplace, the kind of center, the commercial hub of Athens. It would be like us leaving here, going down to Greenwood Park Mall and uh, whoever's there reasoning with them about Jesus. And there he is in the marketplace, ruins of the marketplace here in Athens behind me. And it's like, you just get this sense when it says whoever's there. He's just like, hey, you're here. You have a pulse. Can I reason with you about Jesus? And look at this type of conversation in the Agora and Athens would attract a specific type of person. Look, look at verse 18. says, so some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, these are just philosophers from two rival schools of philosophy in Athens, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And, said, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to, a, to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners, listen to this statement about the Athenians. It is so different from the statement about the Bereans. Now, all of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. The philosophers loved this. There there was this new teaching and they're like, hey, hey, let's bring him to a place called the Areopagus. Now, let me show you an ancient picture of where, what the Areopagus is in the city of Athens. This is a high hill picture taken from the Acropolis looking down on what the Areopagus is. The Areopagus isn't only a hill. The Areopagus um, was a judicial body in Athens. Uh, Think Sanhedrin in the Jewish culture, Areopagus in the culture in Athens was a judicial body that ruled on moral and religious matters. Uh, They used to gather in meet and have kind of these courts on top of this hill. It is likely in Paul's day, uh, those court gatherings, those discussions when it says he's in the midst of the Areopagus is probably in Paul's day happening in the royal court in the marketplace. But Paul's brought in before the Areopagus, and they said, tell tell us more about this. And you know Paul is not going to miss an opportunity for that. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very what? I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And that is where we're going to leave the text off this week. Because Next week, we're going to look at how Paul preaches the one true God. But here's what I want to pull out from what he says, how he leads in. Don't pack up. Don't pack, don't pack up yet. How he leads in to this conversation with the Areopagus. He says, I'm walking through your city. I'm walking through your city. And all of these, all of the, all, you guys have an altar. You have a shrine. You have a temple for everything. And yet, I came across one one statue, one altar, and this intrigued me so much. With all of the idols that you have, you have an idol for everything. You you, you also made an idol for the, the unknown God. You're like, maybe there's something beyond all of this out there. And if there is, let's set up an altar for that God. And let's make sure we're worshiping some unknown God as well. Here's what that tells us. Here's what that reminds our heart. That the worship of idols reveals a deeper longing to worship the one true God. It does. It does for us. Anytime we catch our heart worshiping an idol, worshiping something lesser than God, putting in the center of our life, making supreme, sitting something on the throne, that's merely our heart screaming out to us, you're longing to worship what is ultimate, and the only one that is ultimate is the one true God. Idols should be a neon sign. that at the same time scream and whisper to us that we have a good longing for worship that's misplaced in a bad object of worship. So if we're convicted today that work and career is an idol and that it is at the center, um, that's a bad God. Because what happens the day we're fired? And what happens the day we retire? Sadly, this is why so often you see people retire and then they, they die. Because it's like all of their purpose was just wrapped up in this. What happens, God forbid, if the company really does crash? What happens then if this was the object of our worship? What happens if there's a relationship that has displaced God as, as the ultimate relationship? What happens when he breaks up with you? What happens when the kids grow up and we do our job and they leave home? That's the goal, right? Please say yes. Xbox in the basement at 40 is not cool. (laughs) But you see parents, they've done their job, and I know I have no idea what it's like, I know. I long to know what it's like at this stage (laughs) of our life, but I know, I know. But then you see this grieving set in, and you're like, no, 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 you did it. This was the goal. Look, they love Jesus, and they're adults, and they have families. This was the goal. This is why if a longing for a season when I'm married, when God finally gives kids, win, 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 what if that season never comes? Do we really want to live the rest of our life completely bitter that God never brought some season that we demanded that he bring in our life? These things, when we we worship lesser things, it's the reminder to our heart that we were created to worship. And we were created to worship only that which is ultimate and supreme and worthy of worship, and that is the one true living God of the universe. Anything lesser robs God of his glory and steals joy and the good of our life here. And this is where we say to be continued till next week. And I'm so tempted to try to lift the tension of what we're sitting in, but I know I can't. Harvest, if you would stand to your feet. Part one, we've. Acknowledged that idols are all around us, that our hearts are idol factories, that idols are, soul, uh, idols are soul-destroying things, and that the existence of idols in our hearts reveals to us that our heart was made to worship, and we're trying to worship something which ultimately can't satisfy a worship-created heart. Part two next week is how does the glory of God, the awe of the glory of God, completely destroy all of these fake gods that our hearts concoct. But I don't want to leave you hanging till next week if through this message today, you've come to church because you've been searching for something. And through a message like today, you have realized that I have been worshiping, I've had at the center of my life, really bad gods. Lowercase g, gods. Fake, counterfeit gods. And I'm here today, I walked into church today because I'm looking for and longing for knowing the one true God. Um, You can walk out of here knowing the one true God today. Here's why, he sent his one and only son from heaven to earth to die on a cross because of your sin and because of my sin. That the Bible tells you today that if you will believe in the name of Jesus Christ, if you see that your sin is separated from you from a holy God, and you see that God has made a way back to him through a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you call on Jesus Christ, today you will be saved. And if you know in your heart right now, that is why I came to church. I'm supposed to know Jesus Christ today. I'll be right up here after this service. You come talk. Come have your heart and soul satisfied in the only one your heart was created to worship. I'll meet you up here. Part two next Sunday, how we crush, how our God crushes worthless idols. We preach messages like this because we love you. Harvest, you really are loved. And now as we walk out of here, you're sent. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.